Chapter 36 Management Change After almost two hours of driving on a series of potholes held together by slivers of asphalt, Charles pulled the car into the Greenleaf facility. Beth grabbed Chastity by the hair and pulled her out of the car. Juan was still out cold. Charles put him over his shoulder as they walked into the main entrance. The young Indian girl was at the front desk. This time she looked tired, haggard, and wasn't in a particularly good mood as she jammed documents down the throat of a shredder. Where's Magnus? Beth asked, her fist still tightly wrapped around a large wad of Chastity's hair. The young Indian girl looked up momentarily before going back to her shredding. How'd I know? she answered. Beth's mouth tightened into a smile. She shot a glance at Charles, her eyes practically on fire. Charles grabbed Chastity with his free hand, and Beth let go of her hair. Beth's boots echoed off the marble floors as she walked around the desk and smashed the Indian girl in the head with a telephone. Anything coming to mind now? she said coolly. The young girl pushed herself up slowly, shaking, visibly scared shitless. She pointed down the hall. His office is all the way to the end. I don't know if he's there, but I could page him for you, she said stuttering, suppressing tears. Thank you, but there'll be no need, Beth said with a sickly sweet smile, then grabbed Chastity by the hair again as she headed down the hall. Magnus practically downloaded in his pants when he looked up from his shredder to see Beth walking in with Charles and their two prisoners. He tried to speak, but nothing came out but a loud gasping sound. Beth stared at him blankly. I need some temporary housing for these two. Just don't kill them yet. I have a few questions I need to get answered. Magnus wiped his brow and quickly summoned Eric the guard into his office. Put them in the vault, he said, repeating Beth's instructions. Draper said you're wiring this place to blow. How much time do we have? Beth asked Magnus after Eric and Charles left with the prisoners, completely skipping any pretense of courtesy. Um, well, we're almost done rigging the explosive charges to make it look like a fertilizer accident. Maybe another couple hours tops. It won't go off until we're a ways away from here, Magnus replied nervously. Beth nodded, knowing he wouldn't be going anywhere. She sat down on one of the leather chairs across from his desk and crossed her legs, expressionless, like a cat eyeing its prey. Jack sat up slowly. He was on the floor of a small room and was still groggy as he attempted to piece together of where he was and what had transpired. Recent events began to emerge through the fog as he sat up in the corner of the room. There was no furniture, and every movement hurt. How long was I out, he thought. Based on the level of rigidity in his joints and his body soreness, he figured a while. Judging by the fact that he had to piss, and that he'd most likely pissed himself prior, a long while. He found a small lavatory area carved in the room and barely made it to the toilet before it was too late. Staggering out of the small bathroom, he put his back against the wall, slid down, sat on the floor, legs spread wide. He put his head in his hands and massaged his temple, trying to recount the timeline of events through the lifting mental fog. Christ, I'm so stupid, he whispered, on the verge of tears. He lifted his head and stared at the surroundings, concrete walls and shelves littered with odds and ends, essentially a prison cell inside a monstrous vault 
in the middle of nowhere. His left hand started to twitch and he grabbed it reflexively, a wave of despair creeping up his body as he felt the pinpricks of anxiety culminate in his face. What was I thinking? Those were the four words that he repeated silently as he replayed the capture in his head. Serena, that bitch was right. All I had to do was do my job and leave. What was I thinking? The room was heavy with the humidity of his own breath and the realization that this was his end, the last chapter in a wasted life. He'd stupidly stumbled onto something too big for Magnus to let him go. It was just a waiting game now waiting to die. He cursed himself, cursed God, the lightning strike, and cursed Quan for accelerating him. He was nothing more than a fucking walking analytics platform, one that could understand numbers and trends, but he wasn't any goddamn smarter, just more knowledgeable. The only thing his knowledge had gotten him was some extra coin, a bit of notoriety, a bad relationship, and a really shitty ending. What the hell is wrong with me? Why couldn't I see it, he lamented, thinking about Beth and Serena, the only two women he had been attracted to of late, both toxic in their own way. He thought about Serena Green and how he'd been such a fool, acted like a schoolboy. He was so excited to be around her, his common sense, if he ever had any, went completely offline, solely focused on the contact high of her presence. Why couldn't he have just had a fraction of Luke's ability to call bullshit? Why couldn't he see what was right in front of him? Did he really think he had changed so much that he cared about anything other than impressing a woman as evil as Magnus? Because of that, his weakness, a virus was going to be unleashed into the world by people who saw a world food blight as nothing more than a way to make money from the suffering of others. Worse, it wouldn't be the wealthy that suffered. They could afford higher food prices and could afford to invest in the shit companies profiting from the misery of others. And that was just the best case scenario. Viruses are tricky. They can adapt, species hop if the conditions are right. Food blight would be bad enough, but a pandemic would be catastrophic. As in every viral pandemic, the ones who would be affected the most were the ones who had the least. Inhabitants of poor countries with little access to health care and no means to test or eradicate a viral threat. It was bad enough that he knew what was coming, but gut-wrenching to know that he could have stopped it, and he failed. He thought about his failed mission. In hindsight, he saw how naive he was. How could he, a book-smart imposter, ever think he could pull something like that off? He rocked back and forth thinking about how truly fucked up his life was. Smoking too much just so he could fuck his mind up even more by accelerating. For no other reason than to make more money? He realized that his previous epiphany about saving the world was nothing more than his ego out of control. He was an empty vessel. Helping corporations and governments? Oh, it was a sham. That party knew. Knew that he hadn't been making the world a better place. Just a few assholes richer, including himself. He thought about his motivation, drawing a line in the sand and becoming a man of action. Just the thought made his body heave. I'm nothing but a goddamn freak, a walking victim complex. There's nothing I've done but make bad decisions and fuck things up, he thought. 
He knew at that moment he deserved his fate. He deserved to die. There was no reason to live. The calculus just made sense to him. He hadn't really been living before, just buying shit to fill the holes inside of him. But neither cars, nor the house, the jet, lavish trips ever made a dent. The hole just kept getting bigger. He thought about his girlfriend, Beth, and shook. Another mistake. He knew deep down that she was never right for him, but was too scared to make a hard decision, to go his own way, alone. For some reason, he needed her, if only to reinforce his own negative core beliefs. She had done that in spades and certainly relished illuminating his failures as a person, at least of late. He only stayed with her out of some fucked up inner belief that he somehow deserved it. Now, he didn't hate her. He hated himself for not having the guts to end the relationship sooner. He was going to die. He knew that. But dying without truly living and being true to himself made it worse. I'm doing it again. Shut up, he shouted a voice inside of his head. Think, damn it, think. But he knew he couldn't think his way out of the situation or get through the guilt and shame unless he let go of the negative self-talk. He closed his eyes and repeated his mantra, the one he had learned from his meditation teacher Shiv when he had come out of his coma and back in his body. Amaram hum, madaram hum. I am peaceful. I am blissful. His mind began to quiet down after ten minutes, and his body relaxed. Within twenty minutes, his head cleared, creating space to fully contemplate his situation and Serena Green. Not on her specifically, or the swift knee kick to the crotch, but what she whispered prior. He pushed himself up from the floor and examined the only piece of furniture in the room. A sparse shelving unit with a small bin on top. The room was only eight feet by eight feet at most, and the shelving unit took up a big chunk of it. He put his foot on the lower shelf and lifted himself up to fish his hand around the inside of the bin. There it was. He grabbed his phone, sat back down in the corner, powering it up to see if there was any signal. Unfortunately, there was none. He stared at his phone, looking for mail and text. There was no mail, just a lone text from Eamon to see if he was coming in on Friday morning. Other than that, nothing. He looked at the date and time. Holy shit, it's Monday night. I've been out for a solid 48 hours. His phone suddenly pinged to life with a cell signal as he heard the main vault door open outside. The sounds of furniture being moved in a shrill female voice in the main area outside of his door startled him out of his trance. He quickly tried to make a call, but the signal disappeared as quickly as the vault door closed. He got up slowly and moved to the door to try to get a glimpse of what was going on. The door window was only four inches by four inches just large enough for someone to put their eye up to the glass and see what was going on in the room. He pressed his face to the glass to get a better view. He saw the gap-toothed guard shove a man and woman into the main area, while the guard stationed at the entrance door put his hand on his holster and stared them down. Both were zip-tied, but only the woman was talking, now yeah, shouting actually. She was young, striking, auburn-haired, and was not going down without a fight. The guard at the entrance quickly gave up the staring contest when she made a wild attempt to kick him in the crotch, 
and most likely would have succeeded if the desk guard hadn't pulled her back quickly. Her efforts earned her a nice pop on the side of the head, and she went down in a heap. The man who was zip-tied along her turned and bent down quickly to see if she was all right. It was Quan. Jack could barely believe it. Quan! he shouted at the door, but it was too late. The guards had already pushed them into a small room similar to his on the opposite side of the main vault. What the hell? How did Quan end up here, and where, where were Luke and Eamon? Were they here too? Jack sat and scrolled through his phone, desperately searching for a signal, but there wasn't one. Calm down. You got this, he said to himself. Science the shit out of this, realizing that he wasn't dead yet and that giving up wasn't an option. He texted his coordinates as best he could remember and sent it off to Luke and Eamon, hoping the next time the vault door opened, his text would be delivered. <laughs>